0: BIC episode number 61 and on this episode I'm going to talk a little bit of feedback on a most recent video on the YouTube channel have a little bit of fun with that but then we're going to do another little collector topic we've done the player collector topic already but now this time around we're going to talk a little vintage a little speaking about a little bit of vintage we've actually got different ways that we do our collecting for it so we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of what we're working on now kind of the thought process behind that maybe a little bit of our history with it but then also kind of what plans are with some of that going into the future so a very collector centric topic on it on this episode of the BSE podcast I know that a lot of folks do enjoy the collector-centric topic, so I figured this would be a good one to touch on. So, And it's an easy one, honestly, for us because uh, we've got, like I said, a lot of different angles that we can take on it and a lot of different history and our different respective ways of collecting. Before we do, I want to touch on a little bit since the most recent video on the YouTube channel was the one where I had a little bit of fun uh, talking about Cards HQ. Uh, For the most part, I want to thank everybody for their feedback and the, the response has been really good on it so far. Uh, A lot of people got more or less what I was going for with that one. Although um, some people are a little bit denser than others and struggle a little bit with it. The struggle is real, but uh, that is to be expected. But I did think one thing I kind of when I was talking to uh, Brandon and Eric, and this is kind of a thought process that came through with me as I was checking out the feedback and I was looking at it. And I kept thinking to myself, What? How would this have looked if I had gone the direction that you could have? Because a lot of times the temptation is you could very easily have clickbaited the hell out of that video. It wouldn't have taken much. And I I was just telling the guys that, as it was, I, I took Jeff Wilson video, I put a picture, and I put it on the thumbnail and all that. But really, all I said, the title said, Cards HQ Early Letdown. Which is pretty light. It's actually very light comparatively to the direction I could have taken it. I could have said car HQ disaster, Car J S Q already failing. Question mark. There's a million little ways I could have phrased it that would have been very clickbaity and you know, put the Jeff Wilson thing there, flames and all kinds of things going on, disasters, and uh, make it a lot more dramatic than what it actually ended up being. Where it really came down to is I was looking at the concept of innovation, the concept of kind of the grandiose early promises of the cars HQ thing. With the understanding, which what's funny is that in the video, I include the caveat that I understand they haven't activated everything. I took that into account when I was having that discussion. I also took into account the possibility that they could pivot and do other things, and I expect them to do certain things. But I was surprised that thus far, even what has been promised for the future hasn't been more ambitious to kind of match up with that initial aim that he was throwing out there. Because this was a follow-up video to what I did in December before they even opened. And at that time i already thought it's like well you're already acting like this stuff that already exists is new and you're like you're bringing another twist to it it's like no i've literally already seen this and a few people in the comments were like i was like oh i've never seen this before it's like where have you been i've seen every aspect of it so far and some of it i've seen more and some of it i've seen better um there's nothing wrong with you doing it and by the way who who said you have to reinvent the wheel You could just take elements that work, combine them, and then do that in the shop. That's a perfectly viable strategy. Why wouldn't you do that? That's why I had a little bit of fun with it. And uh, some people got it, and some people didn't. Uh, And I will say, one more thing is kind of a little bonus uh, for for you guys here on the YouTube side. Um, So we know that our AI overlords are slowly taking over. But I will say, there are times where you can have a little bit of fun with AI. And I will say that I did have a little bit of fun with it. uh, And this goes back to my analogy from the live stream. Eric, it is the costco size McDonald's. I did it. I have successfully pulled it up. Y'all, now you know what it could
1: This could be the future. The future. That would just, that'd be, that just. I think we
2: need a little bit larger, though. By the maybe amount maybe of parking spaces there, it looks a little, the ratio is a little off.
0: I'll get the robots back on it. But but, by the way, that was an AI. So if you are watching the YouTube version of it, you're seeing a picture of effectively a Costco like structure building with a gigantic arches. Uh, And this was an AI generated image. And I basically punched in McDonald's the size of a Costco. And that's what came out.
2: (laughs) It It looked like over on the left, there was some clearing being done. They might they might be working on the expansion to get it to, to the perhaps appropriate. So all
1: i'm just all i'm thinking about is the ball pit
2: I mean, it'll be sensational,
1: it'll swim be pool sensational. Size, olympic swimming pool size ball pit it's it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be the dream let me
0: tell you if you everybody knows if you supersize it that makes everything better everything happens. better that's all you gotta do uh so guys, that was one uh, thing
2: good have you guys seen the the double big net they got? I, I i'm just saying like
1: <laughs> never. Good. I have never consumed a Big Mac, uh, nor have I consumed a Whopper. Uh, I think you both probably can figure out the reasons why. Uh, there's no I, mayonnaise on a Big Mac. There's there's no the, the special sauce, which is mayonnaise and ketchup. Mm, not really.
0: You do not want a Whopper. So, for, for, look, forget McDonald's for a second. McDonald's doesn't actually make hamburgers. Just to be clear, McDonald's doesn't make hamburgers. They have they have a colored piece of cardboard with like spray painted flavor. on Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: will the Whopper, bur- though, you you can choose what you put on it. You don't have you can keep it basic if you want
1: to. I'm good. Not just double cheeseburgers. When the time when the random occurrence comes and I go to a Burger King, just double cheeseburgers. I'm good. I don't even get fries. I get two double cheeseburgers. Say thank you and drive away
2: going to have to put an email in to make it required and mandatory for Burger King to put mayo on every sandwich that the customer may remove it if they so choose, but it needs to be a required mandatory condiment on every sandwich produced by the company
0: lest we go into friday mode because we're getting dangerously close to it i will tell you because i've got ideas of what i could do to fix this but i'm going to save them for friday for now we shall move on we shall move on here for a moment okay so one more thing i wanted to touch on actually and this will be just a little supplement to what i was talking about so like i said uh, just following up in that feedback like I just found it very interesting that some folks seem to believe that this was actually innovative in some way and they were trying to make this argument. I'm like, no, I've seen almost every aspect of this tried in some capacity or another. And I did also make reference to Legends of the Game. So I was showing the guys a little bit of a video, uh, some pictures uh, related to it. So I want to show you guys a couple of things here. These are old pictures, relatively speaking, but also not fully representative of what I was shooting for, but it'll still give you a little bit of a taste if you are seeing the video and I'll try to describe it as best I can. So the first picture I'm going to show is actually from the inside of Legends of the Games circa 2011, 2012, somewhere in that time period. And it's actually a pretty decent size shop in terms of the length of it, and it's got a decent amount of things going on in the walls and that. And if you guys want to help me, we can describe it a little bit here. But what I will say is the important thing, if you are able to see the pictures that I'm showing, is that this is actually representative of less than half the size of the original version of it. And I'll give you a different picture that I'll give a little bit of a context for. But what happened is this particular unit, it had a decent width to it in terms of a, a ability to do a bunch of showcases. And what you're missing in this case, because you've got a wall now on the left side, is that you actually had that space open. It was an open space concept. You had a larger space. And in there, you were able to have a gigantic showcase down the middle that allowed you to house. And each sport and category had its own area because baseball had its area. Hockey, of course, had its area. Football and basketball had its area. Non-sports, you could have its area. You know, I remember wrestling cards and things like that available there. And you were able to get all those things. But you also had jerseys. You had equipment. You had wax boxes. You had, you know, uh, all your different supplies, binders. And a wall on the the left side when you first entered, you would have a wall on the left side of wax packs, including older wax packs going back to the early 80s and sometimes even the late 70s for a while before uh, basically that stuff sold out. So they had an extensive collection of all kinds of stuff. But one thing you can't fully make out on this picture is that as part of it, in the pillars that used to present when you had the full version, in the pillars, you would have them full of a display with sports equipment, old sports equipment, uh, vintage programs and all that. And they would develop these themed. So if you had a baseball one, you'd have an old baseball glove, a program, some cards, and it'd be these beautiful displays in the middle of these pillars. That would actually show off a bunch of stuff they had in addition to what they would sell you in the showcase this is what it looked like in the early 2010s but go back 20 years earlier to the early 1990s and that place was hopping there were people all over it in that area that they were in and it was craziness and it was a much bigger space more than double the size of the image that we're looking at here
1: more than 30 years ago uh yeah i mean like i like i said when i was there in 99 i i I visited there um when it was much bigger. And I, you know, I was recalling, you know, the how it looked back then with you earlier about how, you know, it had the glass cases in the middle of the shop and kind of, you know, you could walk around in a, like a square. Um, and it was hopping, like you said, it was very, very busy. Um, and I was, you know, it, I, that was my first time going to Canada. It was my first time going to a, um, you know, card shop in Canada and to see that much hockey i was completely overwhelmed i don't even remember i honestly cannot remember if i even bought anything i just remember going in seeing things that i didn't know existed um and just people well you know i don't like being with i don't like people so Mm. uh, there were some people there and they were canadians that's even worse um (laughs) they're all just going sorry sorry and it just drives me bananas Yeah. And you were Uh, just there being, sorry, sorry. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I have, I have my, you know, Massachusetts, you know, just outside of Boston type attitude. And it's like, what do you mean by that? You want to go, you know? So I was very confused by all the stories, Um, but it was a huge place. It was just filled with hockey stuff. And um, that was my, that was my first taste of, of, cards in Canada. And it was it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And last thing I'm going to show is two quick images. Again, just to give you context, I'll try. I'll describe it to the best of my ability. I'll try. But the image here is the storefront again, circa early 2010s. But uh, in late late 2000s, late aughts. And by this point, it had already been divided. And what you can see from the front from the front facade here is that you've got the card shop over on the right, and you've actually got a Tim Hortons over on the left. But when it was in its apex and its heyday, the entire unit was actually the cart shop, both sides. So you went through the one set of doors and you actually went all the way through and you would be faced with the entirety of the cart shop. So it'd be all the way down the line for the entire unit. And that was the key piece to that. And then this last image here is actually the side of the building where the restaurant is. So the Tim Hortons. And you can actually see, just looking at the image in terms of the size of the bicycles and the size of everything else, is like, you can see the length. It, it, the length of that unit is actually pretty long and it actually has a decent width to it. So. I don't know what the square footage was. I couldn't even hazard a guess, but I can tell you it was actually a pretty sizable space where they were able to fill a lot of stuff and they filled it. The point is in that era, they had it full to the brim with all kinds of stuff, full showcases. They had bought collections and collections and, collect- and stuff was coming in all the time and transactions were happening, especially in that early nineties period. Like I said, it was hopping and people were buying and as fast as people were buying, more stuff was being brought in and it was being shoveled into every corner, nook and cranny you could fit it into. It was stuffed to the brim in its apex. So I, I'd love to be able to give you the real context so you could really understand what it looked like at that time period. You just have to believe me. It was a, it was a crazy shop, especially for the time period. Really ahead of its time, comparatively to what we talk about today. But that's why when I look at those um, bigger shops, the this cards issue concept, you got to remember, I, I have to put it into context with what I've experienced and seen. So when you tell me that it's this and I go, yeah, but I've seen that. I- I've seen it applied. I've seen it tried. I've seen, again, this was 30 years ago. And we, even with this, this is like almost 20 years ago. I'm showing you these images and you can still get a little bit of a taste, even, a, even a scaled down version of what it looked like. This is after the boom had ended, the original boom had ended. And we were already far into the, the descent after that. It was a very much of a quiet period for that. And even then, Multiple management changes and all of it, it was still a pretty decent sized shop, especially for that era. It was still hanging in there for a while before it finally uh, closed
1: its doors. I just want to say all again right. that when it comes to Cards HQ and, and Jeff, because um, I read the comments and, and I, some people were kind of defensive. And I just want to point out again a couple of things. One, you have stated you don't have a dog in this fight and you don't care either way uh, mm-hmm. if he's successful or if he fails um and i knowing you i i totally believe that um brad and i have come on here and stated that um we hope it is successful we're rooting for it we want it to be successful we've definitely discussed this on this platform and on the friday show and you know put our two cents in on you know what we think should happen or what they should do and you know we kind of brainstormed it a little bit and but um n- nobody on because i'm carlos has said you know jeff wilson's a bad guy we hope he you know hope the shop burns to the ground we hope that he fails miserably so we're not coming from that perspective where a lot of people in the in the hobby and content creators and, and people on Um, Instagram and other platforms, you know, are just rooting for this to fail. Um, That just doesn't make sense to me. But it is a big deal. It is newsworthy. It's, It's a big goings on in our hobby right now. So to keep an eye on it, and even if I'm all for it, being able to have a constructive conversation about it, uh, while rooting for it to be successful, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I mean, I just wanted to point that out that there's nobody on this platform going, to, you know, hope the place crumbles tomorrow. I just kind of want that stated.
2: Do you? And this is for both you and any viewers, listeners, whatever out there, do you guys think because to go back to something you just said, or you said it's a big deal. And if you remove Jeff, you know, Jeff and his YouTube and content and everything else from it, mm-hmm. and you just have a new shop opening up across from, you know, Brave Stadium, whatever in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Georgia, and yep. Joe Schmo is running this shop, and it's mm-hmm. not a big spiel going about mm-hmm. it, and it's not Jeff Wilson and everything else, it doesn't then become such a big deal. It's not. I think oh. so. so your your point is right. You're 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 correct. Well, but that that's the reason
0: why. Even in the video, I led. So just and I appreciate Eric uh, giving giving that angle off to it as well. It's important to give that, and and I want to make sure we're we're very clear on this. Two things. The only reason it's newsworthy is because it is Jeff Olson, because of where he has become positioned in the hobby, for better or worse, whether people agree or disagree, and. The proof is in the pudding. This I always like to be very clear about this. The proof is in the pudding, because to your point, if it wasn't Jeff Wilson, would it be as big a deal? Even if he built somebody built a car shop of the exact same size and the exact same, no. The answer is no, and the reason is because he is a polarizing figure in this space. And,
2: go ahead. I was just going to say I don't want to offend people by saying this. And I haven't, you know, throughout the last several years of Jeff, but and it's nothing of him personally, it's just his content wasn't that appealing to me. Mm -hmm. So when I say this, I'm not meaning it like to piss anybody off on either side of the spectrum. But he is essentially the Dr. Beckett of the card space today. You know, Beckett created Beckett magazine, he created market movers, and you know, he was kind of the one to roll out that digital app that that had card pricing and everything else right there at your fingertips or whatever, you know? So I, I'm not saying on the level of, of importance, I should say, to the hobby, but what he created, he basically took and created a digital pricing platform that many people grasped to, and he was very smart. He rolled it out. At the perfect time, I mean, the hobby was booming, the, the pandemic hit, everything else, like a lot of pieces rolled in to make it as big as it was. So, am I saying he is as legendary? No, but if you put time periods in place, that would be the best comparison I think you could do for this time period of who he is. The express sense. are
0: those of the Santa Claus looking guy over here. It's like I just want to be clear (laughs) that Eric Sanderson Duor and Carlos, so because I'm Carlos, do not necessarily co-sign on any of these statements made by Brandon's and Bobbles and Ball Cars and 540 Flips. I just want to make sure we're clear on this point. So send your correspondence in that direction, please, and (laughs) thank you. Good day. You
2: you understand what I'm saying, though? I understand what you're saying. Popularity.
0: Listen. So let me finish my point. Let me finish my point, and and you'll you'll understand why I needed to put that caveat qualifier. Very important. So. So as I said, Jeff Wilson is a very polarizing figure in the hobby. And again, the proof is in the pudding. How do I know this? Because in the video, as I mentioned a little earlier, I could have very easily tweaked my title just a little bit and it would have, I made a joke with the, with the guys before we hit record that I probably could have 10X the views on it if I had just made a slight modification to it, changed the thumbnail to show Jeff Wilson with flames and all this stuff and made it very dramatic. It would have been very easy to do. I could have left the video completely untouched, left it completely alone. And it would have invited way more people as it is, just having him on the thumbnail because I was talking about Cards HQ, so it is pertinent. It's not, it's it's related to what's going on there. But just by having him on there, it it picked up the amount of views and clicks that uh, the particular video got. If it was just Joe Schmo running a card shop, exactly the same, it would not have drawn a fraction of the attention, a fraction of the traction,
1: guaranteed. And and that's I, I, I that's the part I wanted to just kind of reiterate because everything you guys have said regarding how much attention this is getting and how, you know, I said it was important. And you commented on that. I agree with you a hundred percent up until the point of we wouldn't be paying any attention to it. If it was Joe Schmo, I think this is still a big enough deal that even if Joe Schmo and uh, I really want to meet him because I hear about him all the time. Um, did this i think we'd still be discussing it but there wouldn't be so much passion uh feelings uh emotion um excitement discontent all these other feelings that are going through the hobby regarding this and it wouldn't be getting the attention and publicity i agree hundred percent with both of you on that but i think if someone opened up a fourteen thousand dollar card space um was doing all this on you know was was saying they were going to do all this online stuff you know, we're gonna have uh, you know cameras up and down the aisles. We're we're working with, um you know, we're gonna be working with PSA for for grading. We're gonna be working with Fanatics for, for, um you know, uh, for for cards. We're gonna be de- dealing with BCW for products. We're gonna you know. I think, I would hope that we'd be discussing that. That's kind of that's, that's news. That's interesting, and then. In, I think people would be, I think more people would be positive, Like right? All the Jeff Wilson haters hate it because of him. They want it to to fall apart because of him. I think a lot of those people would probably support Joe Schmo for doing the same thing.
2: And, and that's something I need to reiterate when I compared the two of them. I wasn't talking about uh, on the level of being loved and, um, uh, you know, when when Carlos used the word polarizing, um, he's not at the level of popularity he's at, like Dr. Beckett was, for being liked. Um, Jeff probably has like a 70-30 split, maybe, of likability and, and haters. And so he's got the popularity level. It's just not on the same basket of folks as what Dr. Beckett would have. So I want to clarify that what I meant by comparing the two is just the level of being known in the hobby, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's fine.
0: I think it'd be interesting to see how it would play out. Uh, I I think it'd be tough because uh, we, one of the things we were talking about before we, before we hit record is I went looking just to get comparison sake. Um, And one of the examples I pulled up was David Adams. And uh, David Adams has a different model. They've got a different approach to how they're doing their stuff. But I've talked in the past that I knew they had a large space, but I wanted to get context for it. And I was sharing it with the guys a little bit. Unfortunately, the images they took, like uh, they they need to update their their pictures uh, a little bit. But I I think I can show a couple here just to give a little bit of context. So if you go to, if you check out David Adams Card World, so a lot of you may be familiar with them from their online presence. So right here you're looking at. Uh, so here what I'm showing you is I'm showing an image from their website uh, showing. Some of the wax they've got on display in their in their warehouse slash showroom slash you know store that they've got going on, and it's a pretty sizable amount. And you've actually got a nice old John Cena cameo if you can see him, probably not, but he's there in the
2: corner somewhere. Allegedly, he's the security. Look, he's the did security. You know those prism boxes just sitting out on the table. Like yeah, crazy. I
0: can guarantee you. I can guarantee you it's an older image, but I think the point that I want to get across <laughs> here, though, is as I, I'll scroll through some images. But the point I want to get across here is that this is just a section of the overall size of this store. Their store is forty-two thousand square feet. You could literally fit Cards HQ into a corner of their overall store in terms of physical. So it's not about this weird game of physical stuff. The fourteen thousand pops off the page because you're thinking about a card shot. Well, in this case. These guys have the card trading card area, but they also have memorabilia. They're based just out of Buffalo. So they've got jerseys of the Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. And then you've got type of memorabilia that you're going to put on the wall. You've got a Mary Lemieux jersey, a Sidney Crosby jersey, a under the giant Hulk Hogan picture autographed. So you got a wall showcasing this kind of memorabilia. And then you got another wall and le- another area and just shirts and you know merch and all kinds of things that you've got all the way down the line. Another wall with a different set of shirts. And you just keep scrolling through, and this is section by section. And you can see from the image that I'm showing here just how long it goes all the way to the end and then wide. It's this basically is
1: like a oh, Costco type space.
0: Yeah, this is a very large space, a retail yeah, kind of commercial space designed for housing. all. But they're using it for all kinds of stuff. It isn't just a car shop. So just having space for the space's sake, well, great. That's, that's wonderful. But what does that mean? What are you doing with it? Well, they have a very specific design and they had an idea of what they were trying to accomplish, but they also do a lot of the stuff. Like I said, they'll sell merch and different things. Their business is designed to do a lot of different things. And here's a section on board games. So it's collectibles, it's gaming, it's merchandise, it's all kinds of stuff. So because they're doing all these things under one roof, then the additional space is justified. It, it makes sense why they would have it. The point is this type of business still does operate, though, in the sports code space. They've got a warehouse still. They do mail order. They do all these things. And then from a content standpoint, they've got a weekly podcast that they do on Twitch. Uh, They do have it on YouTube, but YouTube doesn't get a lot of traction for them. But on Twitch, it gets a little bit more. So the the idea here, though, is that a lot of these components and elements, so when I'm critiquing it and I'm talking about it, a lot of these elements have been tried in, in different components. By the way, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. And that was one of the things I came back to one of the commenters when we were talking about And like I said, most of the commenters were very good. So I was happy to engage and have a little bit of back and forth with some of them. But I said, there's no, there's nothing wrong with taking ideas that work and then putting your own twist on them and using them. Because if it works, hey, why wouldn't you use an idea that works? You want to try some, you want to try some different stuff uh, that's a little bit different. Hey, knock yourself out and go for it. The, the problem was, and, and maybe it was lost. This message was lost in the discussion for a while there. My point was, you started off by over-promising and under Right now, you're in the midst of under because you start off with the grandiose. If you just wanted to start the shop and say, hey, we're going to try some stuff. Some of it may work. Some of it may not work, but we're going to give it a shot and see how it goes. And we're going to try to have all these breaking pods and we're going to try to do it this way. And we're going to try to do some live selling and all that. If I, The way I just phrase it right now, I don't think there's any reason to critique or criticize anything because, okay, you didn't say you were going to have it on day one. You didn't say it was going to revolutionize retail. You didn't say people were going to study it, which is what he actually did say, uh, which is a little different than what I just said.
2: That almost seems like a common theme though in this hobby or, or like this, you know, this niche market or whatever, because you see it time and time again where companies or whatever will, throw out ideas or, you know, even we all like questioned it when fanatics came into the picture and was like, we want to 10x the hobby. And it was like, um, how do you plan on doing that, especially from this moment right now? Like, you know, so it, it always seems like these promises are made of of these huge big things. And then we're looking at it like, sure, you know, so it's it's just funny that you said that that it was like kind of over promising type thing and i think that happens a lot in this space not just by him or cards hq or whatever i think that just is a uh a common theme in this in this hobby in general
0: i agree i i think though it's different for me when you've got somebody who's heading up a larger company and you're telling that to like potential stockholders and that because when, when he says 10x the hobby and I, we talk about this extensively on the friday live believe me we've talked about it extensively at no point did anybody ever say what the baseline was that's the funny thing about saying 10x or 5x or 2x or whatever 10x sounds exciting you know it's it's a, it's a nice headline grabber but compared to what what are we basing on my <laughs> hobby was 10x during the pandemic yeah so but, but that's what i'm saying but the point though is if, if you decide randomly to pick a time point before that. You could declare victory now, like <laughs> if you if you pick the right spot, you know if you cherry pick the right spot, you can get whatever number you're looking for. But again, because we don't know what the baseline is, like 2018, it would be hard to say. Yeah, the the, the key though is that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Even if you 2x, 5x, whatever, uh, you know, it would still be a substantial rise in business, all things considered. And if you manage that, hey, fantastic. But again, if you pick a weird baseline, you probably already got there. So it it, it depends on what you're talking about. Uh, as far as this is concerned, though, as I said, at a smaller scale, you had to know if you're the folks building this out that it was going to take some time for you to activate a lot of the components of it. The problem is – I th- so to put it this way, again, going back to the polarizing thing, I think there were folks who were trying desperately to declare victory in the first week. And I'm sitting there like you haven't even turned on everything else. And like I said, one of the pushbacks I got is that, well, you're doing stuff with AMG. And by the way, this is going to be a segue to me to, to bring the AMG thing into it because I figured now would be a good time to do it amg collectibles amg collectibles.ca uh scrolling ticker across the bottom of the screen and the amg collectibles youtube channel where tomorrow there'll be uh another episode coming up where we'll record it and then we'll be able to talk about some new products coming in this space but now the reason why i wanted to make sure we got that in there and thank you to amg collectibles friend of the channel and this podcast but part of the reason i also wanted to mention is one of the little piece of pushback i got is well you're doing a thing with the card shop you know also the other angle not even related to card shop i gotta say oh you're just jealous and my, my first instinct when i'm feeling like more of a jerk, because in that video, I was being very nice, relatively speaking. Um, But my first instinct when I'm being more of a jerk is like, jealous of what? (laughs) It's like jealous of somebody who bought a boat with a hole in it. (laughs) You had the money to buy the boat, I grant you that, but it didn't seem like the best idea in the world to me. If you give me three or four million dollars, by the way, I can tell you right now, uh, Brandon, I'm willing to make a wager for anybody that wants it. If someone wants to give me three million bucks, I can guarantee a $150,000 return by the end of 12 months. And I will not lose the principal, and I don't have to do it. And it's risk free. I guarantee you, I will get one hundred and fifty thousand dollars profit. In order to successfully do what I just said, Cards HQ, with the money they've already spent, they're they're three million in the hole. So they're going to have to make at least three million one hundred fifty thousand dollars in profit to match what I just said. So it is a business. You have to put money in and invest it in order to build up a business. So granted. And if you're going in the long haul, then that's fine. Over the course of time, your plan is to chip away back at it, build yourself back up, and with profits over time, be able to grow and do all that. But at the moment, and that was the point of the video, they're not fully activated. At the moment, they've got whatnot streams going. They've started doing some of the breaks breaks now. And so from a personal standpoint, there's nothing to be jealous of. The man just bought a $3 million liability at the moment. It has, is there potential? Sure. Is there a possibility they can get to where they're going to get to? Sure. Absolutely. But it's start. At the moment, right now, he's got a $3 million bill. That's, that's, that's what he's got. So, Eric, I'm not jealous of that.
1: <laughs> I'm not jealous of that. Thank I'm you. I'm not jealous of the debt by any means. No.
2: Well, I mean, people are saying that you're jealous in associating that to AMG. Then we just need to talk to Sherry because she has a man there on her side that is very polarizing. And I know I'm going to give a big shout out to him and shout out to AMG and Sherry and all of them. But Brad is a very polarizing dude.
1: Yeah. You meet
2: him. He has a huge smile on his face. He always seems happy. I mean, I'm sure if people walk into that shop, he is just ecstatic to see them. He's probably greeting them and shaking hands and smiling. Yeah. And like,
0: and it infuriates
2: Eric to no end. Yeah. I mean, he's all like, if you've not met Brad, the man is always, is he, I don't know if, has he ever been angry? Like, I don't know what a angry. Oh, I've, I've heard, I've like. heard him angry. I've heard him angry. I've heard him angry. It took a very, uh, offline, offline conversation, offline story. Okay. But,
0: but, I was but the point say, is, it's hard to right. picture. But. I, I want, I want to separate out two things though. I don't think the jealousy angle. So from the comments, the jealousy angle was not pertaining to AMG. The, so two parts, the jealousy was me daring to critique it. And obviously that means I'm jealous, which obviously stands to reason. Very logical. Very very solid point, but then the the other the AMG angle is more along the lines of well because you were associated with that it's like you're first of all my video I wasn't speaking on behalf of AMG at any point I was speaking on behalf of me, uh, and the other piece of it is that and I was giving an opinion and again uh, in relative terms it was pretty light opinion uh, I wasn't really going that heavily at it but I was looking at what I saw as an opportunity to do some other stuff but the other piece of it is that I think uh, folks forget so speaking of the car shop part element of it now no car shop the card shops compete against each other, but not exactly, not in our space. In our space, it's a very strange way because if you really think about it, a lot of them are very regionally based. Uh, and at the moment, as it stands, Cards HQ really isn't competing with anybody outside of Got Baseball Cards in the, in, the, in the same region. They're the only real competitors they have and the only real competitors they are. And the reason for that is because their online presence isn't fully activated. When your online presence is fully activated, you got your eBay store up and running. You've got your, you know, your Comsi account or whatever you're going to do, or maybe a Shopify store where you can sell stuff. At the moment, if I'm a buyer, I can buy stuff from AMG. I can also buy stuff from Burbank. I can buy stuff from Cards Card Collector too. I can buy stuff from I can buy stuff from uh, David Adams. I can buy it. I can buy stuff from them. They they can sell stuff to me. I can't buy stuff from Cards HQ unless I buy it through that whatnot sale. That's it. That's the only avenue in which I am unless I happen to be living there. So the point is, at the moment, they're not competing with anybody except their local market. So when they activate everything else, then they become competitors to everybody else. But again, there's enough business to go around. There are going to be some folks that are going to – if you don't have the stuff I want, it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are activated. But until then, you you still don't have a fully actualized um, offer as far as being a car shop yet. And that doesn't mean they can't, because they have every opportunity to do that and activate it and turn it on. But I am separating out two things when we when we do a vi- when I do a video like that, I'm not looking at it from the MGA's angle because they're not overly they're not concerned about anything that Card CCQ is doing. And to be blunt, neither is Burbank and neither is Car Collector Two. Or any of those guys, Car Collector Two was there and made content at their trade night. The, the, he saw fit to go there, visit, participate in it, and make a video about it because for them, it's good content. And they figured that people would be interested. And guess what? It worked. That video has more than 40,000 views when I last looked at it the other day. So obviously people were interested. Again, going back to what I said earlier about it does draw eyeballs. It is it is interesting for people for now. Long-term, can it be interesting? Can it be competitive for some of these other companies? Yes, but they're gonna have their own niche. They gotta figure out what that is, whatever that's going to be. But the breaking, industry, breaking side of industry, there's plenty of competitors in breaking uh the whatnot live stream thing there's plenty of competitors in that space too so each one is like its own area and you're going to have your different competitors in that in that region in that zone i think i think a lot of that feedback if you want to call it that came back to people i don't know feeling like this need to come come to the to the defense to the white knight defense of jeff wilson and cars here it's like they'll be fine with or without you <laughs> they don't need your help and if you really want to help them then support them
1: if you really want to help them, then buy some stuff from them. That's the real support. When you're talking about a business, um, that's the number one way to support somebody is is give them your money. Yeah. Pony up. So don't don't write me. Don't write Carlos a comment because Carlos is doesn't Carlos
0: isn't moved. He he didn't change his opinion. No. You you want to show support for CarJSU?
1: Buy something. That's, buy a shirt, buy a hat, buy some merch. Go for it. You know, um, going around and defending, you know, people. It, Defending somewhat a business uh, against what you're perceived as not you, but as someone who may perceive as trolls on the internet, isn't really doing anything. Go go spend your money. But I wanted to touch on it because, like I said, it
0: didn't get it did to no surprise. It did lead to a lot of engagement. We talk about the infamous engagement. There was engagement. There was no doubt engagement. But I think to the disappointment of some of those folks, again, the minority, relatively speaking, it was the minority. Most people were like on board more or less with what I was getting at. And to put a close on this, to put a button on this before I get to the main topic. And if there's anything else you guys want to add by all means, but just put an end on it for me. The main thing that I touched on that I still stand by and I I stand by the whole video, but particularly what I stand by is I still think it's a missed opportunity for them not to not fully speaking, fully activating to me, it's a mistake for them not fully activating their capabilities, which they have in house. They have these capabilities to be able to be producing a steady dose of content under the cards HQ brand specifically, not just videos on Sports Card and Vector that are Cards HQ related. But you can you can do both. Nobody's saying don't do it, but I'm but I'm saying you could build an individual identity. There may be folks that may be interested in that. And I don't see any reason why not. And a lot of like I said, people try to do a compare and contrast. When I talk about the the AMG Collectibles podcast and things we do. It is a relatively small crew of folks. Everybody involved actually works at the store with the exception of myself. So I'm not there. So I can, I can host and I can help produce that element of it. But anybody that you see on that podcast when you're watching it actually works at the store. And when we record it, we record it before the store opens. And after we're done recording, we chat for a couple of minutes and then the guys go in and open the store. <laughs> they literally will go. So I'm basically pulling them off the floor before the store opens in order to record the podcast. And then they're off to work. They gotta get started. So I don't have a dedicated person and they don't have a dedicated person to create content. Cards HQ does have that luxury. So my point in that portion of the video was take advantage of this luxury. You have somebody with a camera that can walk around and get this B roll and get this content. You've got editors who are doing tremendous job. You're literally producing content right out of the space. Whenever you're doing your uh, debate show and where you're doing your Jeff Wilson podcast, you've got a studio in there, AKA, you have the in-house capability to be producing some great content out of that space every single day. If you want to, it's a choice.
2: It's just, uh, I guess, interesting to me because we did a a episode on this podcast several weeks ago discussing card shops and the importance of them and that sort of thing. And I'm going to be completely honest and, and this isn't for one way or the other. I don't have any interest in like keeping up with the Cards HQ thing because it, like, my intent of ever traveling to Atlanta is like very slim. So the chance that I will ever attend or visit his shop is very slim. But I also was one that was very high and stated the importance of card shops. It's funny that there is such defense to this this topic and this card shop and I, again i think it all just draws back to who it is but for as many people out there that will you know scream to the sky saying that card shops are irrelevant now and they're not that important it's funny that there is so many people actually defending the topic if you say anything negative towards the guard shop so it's almost like a contradictory statement there. Um, you know, people say they're not important, but then people want to defend it. So, like, make up your mind of which it is, you know. So I, 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 if it if it succeeds, awesome, you know, great for Jeff and all the people involved. If it doesn't, then, you know, he tried, right? I'm not going to like sit there and poop a warning, but he tried. So it's just it, it's a weird topic and take I guess upon it. That's fair. I think,
0: uh, like I said, it's it's testament, and we're gonna see. I, I'm I'm kind of, like I said I've kind of enjoyed it uh, during this brief. I was not surprised. It was funny because I I made my little mini comeback. I had made a, a regular video. I think this year, I think every piece of content I had on there was either a pickup video, a handful, uh, and then either a podcast episode like this or the live stream. And it's like I decided to come back. It's like all right. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, bring the engagement.
1: <laughs> I guess I that's have, where we're going to get today. I have an idea for future content now. Ooh.
0: Brandon and Bobby road trip to Atlanta. Oh, I I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> would love that. You, you, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you got Bobby, like, angrily trying to, like, chase down somebody in Atlanta, and you're, like, holding him back. Bobby, no.
1: No. That's Stop what I trying want.
0: to attack random people in Atlanta.
1: Yeah. I think that's what, that's what that's what the interwebs need is is that content.
0: That my friends is truly, truly quality high-end content that we
2: Bobby. Know. If you could find us a sponsor, this might work. <laughs> I, I,
0: I think we should get whatnot on this. I don't even care. Like there's gotta be an angle that we can get whatnot on this to sponsor it and pay for it. Somewhere needle need them,
1: need them can sponsor it. <laughs> needle <them> can sponsor
0: it. <laughs> Hopefully, Needham can pay for the for the bail money because then you're going to need yeah. it. <laughs> if Brandon can't chase Bobby down, that might be that might be where this next thing's going. If the second episode will be on Court TV, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But, oh no, uh, there
2: would be enough views that we should have enough <laughs> revenue for the bail money. What would hope? What would hope? They super can, chat, awesome. live stream, super chat, yeah, super super <laughs> chat.
0: All of a sudden, Eric, we, you and I, we do, I do like do a live stream. It's like just covering the court TV case, and it's like what happens. Like, like it's like it's like, y'all, we need some for the legal fund.
1: We need some legal fund for the brown. Well, would be quite the spectacle. back to Canada, I think, because Bob's going to be. The one. Uh it'd be quite the spectacle. Quite the spectacle, I must say. Well that took an interesting the old uh friendship bridge, as I like to call it, and uh yeah tough, and he gets turned over <laughs> to the Canadian authorities at the halfway point a, uh, <laughs> I guess all you know, uh, man. We need this.
0: I think it'll be I think it'll send quite the message to the Americans I think, after he is celebrated with a ticker-tape parade outside the Tim Hortons. yeah, he's <laughs> Sensational, sensational, yeah. sensational, beautiful. Uh so yes. So we'll we'll touch on uh, – so we'll flip over now to the other to the other topic here. Uh, had a little fun with that. One. We'll see how that one plays out. But, again, uh, just bear in mind, as I said earlier, try to take it in the right spirit with a lot of these videos. They are opinion pieces, and opinion pieces means you don't have to agree. Like it's completely fine to disagree. My only ask – I only have one. My only ask is if you would like to disagree with me, at least make sure you've watched enough of the videos so that you're not making an argument that is completely refuted in the video. Okay. That is the only ask I have. That's the only one. Because if you tell me something that literally was refuted in the video, I'm going to simply roll my eyes and move on with my day. (laughs) There's nothing I can do to help you at that point. At least watch enough of the video so you know what you're arguing against. And then by all means, uh, happy to hear what you have to say. By all means. But uh, that's fine. So best of luck to the best of luck to them. Hopefully they take at least some of those concepts under consideration and hopefully they do some of those things that they were going to say. Uh, within a couple of hours, they actually had a behind the card shop thing, but it was more of a documentary piece. Not exactly what I was talking about, but within a couple of hours of my video launching, they did have a piece of content. So there you go. Hey, maybe somebody's listening. Jeff, you're welcome. <laughs> you are a powerful force in this. Crack the whip! Crack the whip. Got the yeah. got those I'm bum bum of editors off their seats and actually made them do a little bit of work. So there you go.
2: Were you the first subscriber?
0: Well, the, it's it was still on the Sports Card Investor channel. That's my problem. Oh, right now, okay. I think there should be a Cards HQ YouTube. I'm not talking about the breaking one that does the live stream. I th- I think there should be a Cards HQ YouTube channel with Cards HQ exclusive content. That's my opinion. I I would build an independent brand so it could be its own thing, and then people know where to go and if they want to check it out. Starting off on Sports Card Investor, I get it. He's already got the audience and subscriber base. I get that. But at some point you got to wean it off and let it start building on its own. Give it a chance to grow and develop a little bit on its own. That's, that would be my angle. But again, Hey, listen, I, I'm I'm just a jealous hater, man. I'm just a jealous hater. What do you want? I don't know what to oh, tell yeah. you. Sorry. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Well, I, I am a professional hater though. It's like if my Tom Brady takes have taught y'all nothing, I am a professional hater. I'm yeah. really good at it. Y'all really good at it. That, no so God. it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So let's uh, chat a little vintage. Let's start a little vintage. So uh, this is the other going to be the the remainder of the podcast that so we'll chat about that a little bit. Uh, so as I mentioned at the beginning, we've all got different approaches to collecting vintage. So that's a big piece of it. And one other thing I may do as part of this one, I may try to put a timestamp on it. So if you all want to skip the card digiq discussion and get to the vintage discussion, I'll, I'll give you that option on this episode. You're welcome in advance. So I'll find the timestamp and make it happen for you. But um We've all got different approaches to it. Brandon had started to consolidate and figure out kind of the combination of things he wanted to hang on to. So that's one aspect of it. I've had my vintage projects over the year. I did share with the guys before we started. uh, I was digging through a box here of some stuff. And one of the things I got in here is a bunch of 58 tops, including the 58 tops all star of Mickey Mantle. That wasn't actually part of my original Mickey Mantle run that I had originally, uh, but it is this is a classic card. Like if you guys remember the 58 tops and the All Star and the Sports Magazine All Stars, this is an iconic card. Not a super high condition one, but a fairly clean copy. Like that's actually a pretty solid copy, all things considered. And by the way, if you are a Mantle fan, this one is a very affordable piece. Like you can get these ones in pretty decent condition, and it's not like super crazy in terms of uh, in terms of cost. And they are pretty neat cards. And it is a 50s Mantle, so 100%. If you want to have one in the collection, that's a pretty solid piece. But one of the things that sorting through that box was that it is kind of a graveyard of projects past and that I had aspired to that I'm probably not going to pursue. So now my next trick is going to be figuring out what I'm going to do with that. Uh, on the hockey side, Eric has a variety of different projects he's working on because he's got a autographed version of one of the sets he collects and he's got a regular version of it. And he of course picks up individual cards here and there that fit certain categories. he's doing. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So before I get too deep into it, Eric, do you want to kind of explain uh some of the vintage projects you work on give a little bit just a little bit high level background on some of them
1: yeah um but my my favorite um vintage collection is the 1969 70 hockey set uh both tops and opici Opeachy obviously has many more cards and inserts uh than the top set and i i've tried to come up with different ways to collect that that year um I have the entire top set I have um in in very good raw condition. I have um a second set of top 6970 that's not as nice I cut kind of that was kind of like my first and then I kind of upgraded and now I have two sets um and that year they had stamps um, that look like postage stamps with with players on them and there's a space on the back of the card and so you can you know to, to get the card mint you don't have the stamp on but i also collect um, the cards that do have the stamps attached to them i collect the stamps um i they all they came in pairs i collect them individually and in pairs um but one of the challenges that I and things I've really enjoyed doing in the last couple of years with it is, um, I'm trying to get as many of the cards signed in person. Now that's tough because a lot of the guys that will play in a 6970 um, are either so old that they no longer sign or they've passed away. Um, but there's still plenty of others out there that will still sign. And, um, You know, I'll be seeing um, Serge Savard, for example, on March 3rd. I'm going to have him sign his. um, That's actually his rookie card that year. Um, So there are players still out there doing that, but I'm trying to get as many signed as possible, and it's not easy, you know, Mm -hmm. and the ones that have already passed away or I don't have a chance of meeting, I picked up on the secondary market. Fair enough. And how
0: many do you have uh, on the autograph one? Um,
1: quite quite a few. <laughs> so that's fair enough.
0: While you're taking a look at that, so while you're taking a look at that, I want to give Brandon a chance to give a little background. One of the things that we talked about in the past, one of the things that you had done, is you had picked up a lot of different kind of um, iconic and quality vintage cards. And we talked a little bit about the consolidation, some of the thought behind that. Uh, so, do you want to touch on and elaborate a little bit on that kind of your, your vintage journey, so to speak, where it's taken you?
2: Yeah, I mean, so we we, you know, tons of people have discussed, you know, many 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 times what the the pluses and minuses of the boom, pandemic, whatever you want to phrase it as, mm-hmm. and one of the opportunities that was there is if you were already in the hobby and and really I I would assume some people that weren't even in prior to the boom probably still did okay but if you were in the hobby before the boom and you had cards you know and, and especially the shiny stuff the prisms and that sort of thing there was potential to make a lot of money on absolutely the dumbest cards like And I say that kindly, but some of the stuff I sold and what I sold it for was just ridiculous. And it allowed opportunity to obtain some cards that quite honestly, you know, I never, never even had dreamed about owning. And it was cool to get them. There was, you know, some checklists I was working on and things of that nature. But then... As we kind of touched on, I, I looked back, and I was kind of like, I feel like it, when it, that whole journey also allowed us to veer off the paths that, that, we, that were most important to us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I kind of allowed myself to do that. Now, I find it extremely amazing that I was able to own a Gaudi Ruth and you know, some of the other cards I, I was able to pick up over the time, but looking back on it, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I never would have went after those cards. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've shared stories of me being literally cheap. Like, you know, I missed opportunities because I was cheap and I'm talking spending $50 on a player I really liked, you know, and then to think that I was spending, you know, 4,000 on a roof, it was like, This isn't me. And then my purpose was to hand them down to my kids. And I've seen patterns that I just, my wife always tells me you don't follow your gut. And I had this gut feeling regarding vintage. And some people will argue it and it's perfectly fine. We all have different opinions of it, but I just have this feeling that as time progresses, vintage is going to become more common, as far as availability you know the thought has always been that vintage will sustain its value i have thoughts opposite of that i think vintage will suppress itself a bit because you're going to have higher supply and lower demand um and so it just like all of these thoughts combined together kind of formulated this 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 purpose to get back to what really just meant a lot to me. And I've always been like you know you you can touch back on your 90s hockey and being like a, a stars fan back when Madonna was there and everything else and Eric mm-hmm. has stories probably of the Bruins since like the 1600s and you know when I look back growing up I had favorite like I didn't ever grasp really to a particular team. I was more like I liked the Mariners because Griffey was there. But then when Griffey sure. left, it was like, and I'm not too big of a Mariners fan now. I liked the Magic when Shaq and Penny Hardaway was there. But when Shaq went to LA, like I couldn't follow him. I felt like I was going to be a bandwagon fan. So I've not had that history of tied to like a team, so to speak. So my repurposing of my collection with the Nationals and stuff And those memories of the World Series and stuff that just happened, the Ravens, you know, I became a Ravens fan and I've got players there. So I'm kind of refocused back to just those moments that I can actually connect with of becoming a fan of a team and not just a fan of a particular player like I was growing up because – I once the player would leave, I would like, and and I seen Scott do a video recently about what happens if your favorite player leaves the team. When I was a kid, like, I hated it. When Griffey left, I was like, what do I do? I'm not a Mariners fan now. When Shaq left, I'm not a Magic fan now. So as an adult now, I've been, you know, Soto has now moved on to two different teams and I'm still a Nationals fan, right? I've accepted that that's business now and that players aren't going to likely stay for long careers anymore. And so Mm -hmm. that's just part of it. And, you know, Dallas I I became a a Stars fan, as you can tell. And so it's just kind of a refocus back into the things that mean the most to me and and things like players, teams, that sort of stuff that that I just have a connection with. Babe Ruth, I never watched the guy play. It was cool owning the card, but Mm -hmm. it was opportunity that presented itself. It wasn't... I don't know it's it's tough to explain for people to understand it just there's different visions in collecting I guess and some people feel that they need to own those cards to have a successful collection and to me I felt like I only did it because the opportunity was there and it didn't like it, the story was cool but the meaning of it like my Michael Taylor superfractor that connects with me a lot more than that 33 roof, if that makes sure. any sense.
0: No, that's fair. And uh, it does touch on the theme that we've talked about in the past about uh, building the collection that you are happy with as opposed to the collection that will get approval, so to speak, from the from the collecting masses, you know, their stamp of approval. So it is an important theme. So in that sense though, uh, so just bringing it back into the topic as well. So in from that perspective then, uh, are you kind of comfortable to stand pat with where you are, with what vintage you have retained? Like where you currently stand, are you comfortable that you stand pat, or is there still anything else that uh, still some interest to you?
2: Uh, there is some, yeah. Like I, so I have definitely kept all my Jackie Robinsons. Mm-hmm. That sure. that's one player that I definitely wanted to keep, and there are a couple cards of his that I've never obtained that. If the opportunity presented itself, I I would like to add them to the collection. There's uh, the 52 Burke Ross, and then obviously there's the 48 leaf, which is very expensive. And um, the Bond Bread is another one that I've always wanted, but I've been scared to purchase because I know there's like counterfeits or reprints or whatever out there. It's a hard one to determine legitimacy of. But yeah, there are still some cards. I kept up my 50 you you showed mantle i kept the 56 mantle um Hmm. partly because that's just a cool card mickey Hmm. said it was his favorite and also that card was obtained um from james gillam who's become a really you know he's basically a family member now and he never sells cards and he's sold that to my wife as a gift to me Hmm. um so it was nice you know to have a piece that he passed along And it's in my collection so it has more than just a card meaning to it um Mm -hmm. my 55 bowman hank aaron that's kind of the card that i had as a kid that i regretted as an adult that i no longer owned and that was kind of my first vintage pickup when Uh you know as an adult trying to tread back into that space so that's one that i'm going to keep you know so there are some that i'm still keeping and you know there's there's a few that that trickle the interest of maybe possibly picking up if if opportunity presents itself mostly on the jackie robinson spectrum
0: sure no that's fair and that's why i say you, your journey was going to be different than mine or eric so that's why i wanted to get kind of that perspective in a little different angle which to me is perfectly valid that's the reason why part of the reason i thought number one this topic is straightforward because we do understand it and we all have our own different perspectives and journeys on it but then the second thing is it also pushes back on the idea Because there's still some folks in the vintage side of things that, uh, and I've heard these commentaries a number of times, they're like, oh, well, you know, as collectors, you know, mature, they move into vintage. As someone who started collecting vintage early, trust me, it is nice to have the exposure early, but it also means you can kind of decide what you like and what you don't like. And that's why I talked about, that's why I gave this card as an example. There was a point in time in my life, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. I want to let Eric finish his piece as well, since he's been sorting, so hopefully he can give us an answer here in a second. But... The reason I have these specifically is because at one point in time, my thought process was on doing the top Bowman run. Like that was an aspirational thing that I was going to try to do. So that meant I needed cards like this. I still very much like this card, but truthfully, just hanging on to it for the sake of hanging on to it probably isn't going to make sense. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm going to be very careful on this. Go ahead.
2: So I want to ask a question of that because I think this is some of where some of my, my, my uh, passion for the vintage also kind of fell off Mm -hmm. i was working on i wanted to do the tops rookies because you know some players they don't have a a tops rookie but they have a first tops appearance or what have you and i thought that would be cool but did it did part of your disinterest in the mantle run arise because you start looking at it and you're like there's some of these cards, like, I'm I'm going to be, like, pretty much impossible to own, like the 52 tops Mantle, or maybe, you know, even a 52 Maze gets really expensive, you know? So did that push into some of it? Because that's kind of where I was feeling. It was like, all right, I got some of these, but I can't keep tossing thousands of dollars out on a single item because I'm, like, I'll never complete it right so for
0: so just speaking for myself that wasn't necessarily the factor because i had started so early so I, I separate two things i think for some people when they talk about the mantle run they include you know the all-star card they include a lot of the subset cards and all that when i was looking at the mantle run so there were two things the tops moment run i'm talking about the sets so that would have included the mantle no matter what so that was the first thing but I wasn't necessarily discouraged by the cost because at the time that I started it, if if it had been my – now, if I had been sitting there at the time that I started it in my teens early on and I had been mapping it out, then at that point in the 90s, it would have made sense for me to be like, okay, maybe I set aside – start setting aside the money now, hit the big ones, hit the big guys early – Go get the man or rookie, go get the 52 tops, go get those, some of those key pieces early on and really go quality over quantity early, hit the big hitters before the price really escalates and does this. Um, and then work my, work my way backwards because then it'd actually be downhill from there. <laughs> you, you get the big hitters and it actually gets relatively easier as you go forward. Um, when I build a set today, I actually go get the Hall of Famers and short prints first. Because then if worse comes to worse and I get tired of it, I've actually got the most desirable cards. They're the easiest and most liquid to move if I have to work in reverse.
1: And easiest to find.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So strategically, it actually works quite well. But it wasn't the cost that discouraged me, really. It was just that I, as I went through it, I had actually built most of the Mantle run. So just speaking Mantle, I had from 53 tops. I had through 69, so I had 53 to 69, got all the regular mantles, all the base card mantles. And then for Bowman, I had 52 Bowman, 53, 54 and 55. Uh, Yes. uh, 52 through 55. So I, I had all the Bowmans except for the rookie. So the only thing I was missing was the rookie 51 Bowman and the 52 tops, the two most expensive ones, but had it been my desire to finish that with everything else that I had ready to go, If that had just been my desire, I could have just funneled all my energies into it and gone and picked up the card. That that would have been the way, instead of buying all the other things. I just enjoyed so much other stuff more. And the bigger issue for me was a lot of the cards there, I just don't like them. 57 tops is one of the ugliest sets. I just hate 57 tops. I hate them all. So I, I despise that set. So I'm like, why? So in order to do this run, I would have to build a 57 top set. And if I hate the set, that sounds miserable to me. That sounds terrible if I really genuinely set, don't enjoy it. Why would I do that to myself?
2: That has, that set actually has quite a few Hall of Fame rookies in in that that's, set in the 57. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And But it was always I ugly to most me. All of them Aesthetically it was always ugly to me
0: and that's my problem.
2: Yeah, there are even the Hall of Fame rookies in that set and I don't know if maybe it's the, the people just don't like the set but I think what is the most expensive Brooks, Brooks Robinson? Yeah. I think Frank Robinson is
0: also a rookie in 57. I believe Frank Robinson is another
2: one. He's cheaper than Brooks. So yeah. And you, Mm -hmm. I mean, you got, uh, I think Don Drysdale's in it. Like, I think there's like five or six hall of famers in 57, but all of them are relatively cheaper and that's still looking at it. It's a somewhat early fifties top set yeah
0: well you got to remember that so two things number one i do like i said personal opinion strictly personal opinion aesthetically i think it's a really ugly set that's first second it is the first set that they went to what is today the standard size trading card
2: standard yeah so
0: 50s uh, coming. go take a look at a 56 tops and then go take a look at a 57 tops and you're going to notice two things one of them is much more attractive than the other in my opinion (laughs) i love the 56 set personally uh so i was very happy when i finished that set years ago i i and I might want to upgrade a couple of cards, but my set is complete, which is which I, I'm thrilled with. But that 57 set is such a letdown after. <laughs> like the very next year, it's like, <sighs> it's like you guys didn't even try. Oh, this is this is very sad. Uh 58, it's a little more colorful. I kind of like it. It's almost got like a magazine design on it. Like I actually prefer 58 to 57 by quite a bit. 59 kind of feels like you're mailing it in. 60, I actually like 60 personally. I, I kind of like that set. But that's my point. I can go year by year with you and go through Pops and Bowman. And I can tell you, I like the aesthetic of this set. This set, not so much. The point is, if you're going to do a complete run, Brandon, you have to do them all, whether you like them or don't like them. And after a while, to your point, it does become really prohibitively expensive. So the question is, how many of my resources do I wish to devote to this? When I have other collections, even at the time I'm collecting vintage, I was already collecting Medano. So I've got this player collection I'm working on. I've got this other stuff I'm working on. And the thing is, I'm very passionate and enjoying doing this. I still enjoy getting these vintage cards. And I did. But as I get older and I, I became funny enough, as I became more sophisticated, I actually turned down the amount of vintage because I'm like, this is not a good use of my resources because there's a lot of this stuff. I just don't like, it does not interest me, but it's not lack of knowledge. It's not like I've done my study. I know what's going yeah. on with these sets. I know what the short prints are. I've studied the, the, the sets. It doesn't interest me. I'm not, I don't want them.
2: I will say to just tie a little bit to and and again, I know some folks will shout at the clouds and say I'm wrong or whatever, and and that that's fair. There, you know well Eric was just
0: gonna do that in principle before he even heard there's, what you were there's say.
2: both sides, but since I got into the reselling stuff and, and kind of seeing the estate sales side of things and what happens when when someone Hands down, things or, or passes away or whatever. You know, I I had proclaimed that the vintage was allowing me to have fun in the hobby, and I told my kids, you know, they, they probably could remember me telling them, I get to enjoy it today, they get to enjoy it tomorrow. Okay, and that that was kind of my theory behind it. But after seeing what a lot of these families go through, or what happens to the belongings after these folks pass away. It was like, I'm leaving my kids a headache. And I truly do have a, a, a feeling that, you know, we would love to believe our age that vintage is just going to continue going up, 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 up. And, you know, it's going to be glorious. But you have to look at the time periods and, and the way they all play out, right? The kids today, most of them, even though babe ruth is a huge name many of them even if they are baseball fans won't know hardly anything regarding who babe ruth really was you know it, it it's crazy to think but they're not connected with that like like maybe even some of us were and i do feel that you know this is all supply demand based and The more supply that continues to get funneled into the marketplace, the more people our age are either going to have what they want or they're not going to be interested in or whatever. You're going to have a a higher supply with a lower demand and you're going to see an imbalance. And I didn't want to pass all this stuff down to my kids whenever it's my time to go and then, you know, them be left with a headache to try to figure out how to get rid of it or get taken to the cleaners on it because they just who knows what it would have even been worth at the time so that's also kind of my thought uh just some things i've seen some gut feelings i've had whether right or wrong they're my feelings and and just my choices Um, i'm still collecting and i'm having more fun i think now so and that's the most important part
0: there you go so, Eric, you've had some time to sort there. Uh, you got kind of a – so I'll, I'll get back to kind of finishing my story. But before I do, do you want to give us a little ballpark, autographs, uh, how many for that set? do so,
1: worry about where you're about to do. These are all autographed from 6970. So he's okay.
0: got a 1,600-count box, and most of one row looks full with one touch, as it looks like. So
1: the, the big ones are, you know, so like you said, you kind of the, – the big ones are easy to find. So you got, you know, you got Bobby Orr, but mm-hmm. Gordie Howe, right? Yep. Trying to, and then of course, this one is to, you can't get anymore because Tony Esposito has passed away. This is his rookie from the Opeachy set. Yep. Okay. And, you know, just this past expo, I was just looking here just at the past expo. Uh, in November, I was able to get a Jacques Le Perrier and Les Binkley. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, on the third, we're having uh, Serge, Serge Savard and um, Pete Mahovlich coming in, and um, I'm going to get Serge to sign another rookie card because I have one already, plus um, the, the Conn Smythe Trophy card that he because he won that year um so I'll have them sign both for the set you know now so, ballpark
0: wise how, how how many cards are in that box you can guesstimate eh? you don't have to get it down to the right because the last, last
1: like 10 20 you know 30 40 yeah it's probably like 70 all right no, that's fair. That, that, that's why I say I was just
0: kind of curious, ballpark wise. You
1: know, there's 32 cards. The Opeachy set, I forget at the moment on top of my head, but it has much more. And you know, I just love chasing them. I could go on if I was rich. I could go on eBay and buy, you know, 20 autographed cards from this set tonight. Hmm. But you know, you got to pick and choose, and you know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Hmm. I've always said that it, someone who is just crazy wealthy. I don't think they're having as much fun as we are in this hobby. Cause when you can just snap your fingers and have something that's, that's not as fun as, as the waiting game and the shopping and the, you know, kind of managing your money. And, you know, I can only buy one card today, which one am I going to leave on the table and come back and get another time? You know, people that are just stupid, rich to just, I remember there was a there was a um, documentary down on Michael Jackson years ago, and they followed him around shopping. And he walked into this high such a high price store that the three of us aren't even allowed to walk through the door. Okay. And he just walked in and went, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Oh, that would look good in the living. I'll take that. And he just then he walked out and he just dropped like two something million dollars. I just I wouldn't I don't want to be able to do that in this hobby. Because I wouldn't appreciate the efforts it takes to get these things and to and to make financial decisions over what I can or cannot afford, you know, what condition I can afford versus what I can't. You know, and, and that's what makes this more gratifying and more of a treasure hunt than just buying stuff.
2: But that that's so that right there is like. It's a good, good topic and and thought process behind it. But why does it have to be the patience or the hunt because of the dollar? Like you hear it so often. It's not about the value. It's not about the money. It's not about this. Do you find it more gratifying when you've been able to obtain something because you could afford it? Or do you find it more gratifying because you obtained something because you hadn't been able to find it? because that's part of like what I've reflected back on you know I'll use it again that taylor superfracker right he's not the most expensive player in the world he's not the most popular baseball player he's not like a superstar but finding that card was not about how much it was worth or whether or not I could afford it it was finally obtaining and hunting that piece down i don't think everything that we hunt for has to be based on whether or not we can afford it. I think sometimes we can hunt for little nuggets that are relatively cheap. Oh, They're yeah. just hard to find.
1: Absolutely. And it goes both so, ways. But the more money you have, uh, the easier it is to get your hands on things. So I'll, I'll separate two things. So I think, I think you're making
0: a very valid point, but I want to touch on something here that I think is important because Eric is making a point here about uh, curation. So because I want to kind of touch on this and you're making a point about scarcity. So both both things are valid, by the way, but there's a little bit of difference in kind of the approach to it. And I think there's a valid uh, validity to both. And also, ironically, it touches on the first half of the podcast, the topic about the card shop and everything. And I think part of what separated me and I promise I won't spend too much time on it. I'll come back to this conversation here. But part of the reason why I looked at it through a certain prism was because of what was being promised, was being discussed, but also that a lot of people spend a lot of time focusing on the grandiosity of the money spent on the thing. And the important thing is, and I think what actually hurts it in terms of my eyes looking at it, is that I know that if I just decided to spend, if I just had an unlimited budget, I could replicate everything that was discussed with Car J's q almost anywhere. I could build it on the North Pole for you. And if, if I had even more money and I wanted to just spend it, I could build a biodome around it to house it in the North Pole. So the, the point is, I could throw enough money at the problem and replicate it or even do better. And, and at that point, it's not so impressive because it's like, no, at that point, it's just money. Circling back around to this, though, circling back around to this topic, uh, and Brandon asked earlier about what hurt about the the mantle run and the the run I was looking at and everything. It wasn't the money. I know that if if it was just my goal in life and I wanted to finish that Topps Bowman run and that's what I dedicated my energies to and I put every hobby dollar I have into it, I could finish that run. I 100% could. It's not the money. That's not the issue. The the reality though is, as I said, number one, a lot of them just don't interest me. I don't like them objectively. Personally, I don't like them. But then number two, they are available enough as opposed to your Michael Taylor card where it is a one-of-one so, you have to track down that specific card with a lot of the stuff we're talking about, like the projects I'm working on. I'm working on a 53 Bowman color set. Every single one of those cards is available for me right now. If it's just a matter, if I literally, if you just put enough money in my pocket right now, I could literally go on eBay and I could hit buy it now and buy every single card that I have left on that checklist and finish the set tonight. No problem. I could buy them one at a time and I would still be able to finish the entire set tonight. And that's not the point. In, in a situation like that, it's not that it's not available. It's that, well, maybe you want to build a set with a certain aesthetic in mind. Maybe it's not just about money. It's just like, yeah, I'd like the, I like the picture, the registration. I like the registration to look a certain way, or maybe I want the centering to be a certain way, or I want this, I'm looking to, so there are maybe 50 copies in front of me. So literally I could buy any of these 50 copies, but I'm looking for a certain look. And if for some reason I don't see it in those 50 copies, well, maybe I'll wait. And then maybe I'll get a chance to see another 50 copies. And in the course of that, maybe I'll find the appropriate one. And then that's the one I purchase. It gets added to my set. And there we go. So it's not availability in this case. It's not even money in this case. It's just I'm looking for the specific one to fit the aesthetic of the set I'm trying to build. And that's a decision you can make as a collector to make it fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve, whatever you're trying to accomplish. So for me, that's the roadmap portion of it. I'm working on a 53 Bowman color set. I'm also going to be working on a 53 top set because I love both of those sets. I appreciate both of those sets. And then after I finish that, I'll move to the next one on my list and I'll move to the next one on my list. But the amount that's left on that list got shrunk down because I started off with this big old list of all these sets. And I'm like, you know what? I honestly don't care about a bunch of these sets. So you know what? Scratch it off, scratch it off, scratch it off, scratch it off. And then what's left. These are the ones that interest me. So when I'm done, I'm going to have the sets that I actually like. And those are the ones that I'm going to work on. And when I'm done, then I'll move on and start working on something else that interests me. We, we build the Josh Rosen Super PC, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> That's what we got to do.
2: And that, that, you know, the reason I brought it up, because you had mentioned the dollar, the dollar amount, Eric. Yeah. But I actually think it's cool the way you're building. Yes, I said you're doing something cool. Um, Ooh, you can dance later. Scandalous. But, I I um, used to sue you a drunk. Go ahead. No, no, um, no. I do seriously. I think it's cool how you have a set that you have a passion for, and it would be very easy to say, "Okay, I built a set," and then you say, "Ah, well, let me do it in the OPG because that's uh, another aspect, you know, to the older tops stuff. You could do tops and OPG and and baseball if you wanted to do Venezuelan and you know uh, what the other one. I'm drawing a blank on, but There's a fourth in some circumstances. Um, But anyway, you get my point. There's two versions you could do, and you did both of them. Then you're like, well, let me take it a step further, and I want it autographed. That has – it's not necessarily monetary because, you know, I don't know of anybody seriously expensive in that set that comes to mind. Uh, Maybe what you showed the Esposito you said that was his rookie, right? Yep. That's probably the most expensive card in the set, right?
1: Well, you have Or and how that are pretty expensive to buy, but yeah, those like the top three.
2: Okay. So for monetary standings, it's probably not an overly expensive set to build in general, but you have found ways to not just build the set and be done with it and say, I've accomplished. You have taken it to other elements. And as you've added those elements, it's added the difficulties of obtaining specific pieces. So it keeps you involved. It keeps you entertained. It keeps you hunting. Because I do believe that the and I don't want to say this to to fluff any feathers. The people that truly enjoy this hobby for what it is the thing that keeps us motivated and in it is literally that passion of the hunt that excitement of finding a piece and it's not necessarily how much that piece costs it's that passion of accomplishing that goal as carlos said maybe it's curating a set a specific way in your Mm -hmm. case it's you know doing different different models of the same set but autographed versions or the stamped versions doubles and singles and all you found ways to keep that passion going and that hunt continuing so you know I I I do feel that it, it it's cool the way you're doing it there's no other way to say it because you found something you love and you found ways to continue pushing that that on so
1: you know and thank you first of all and second, the set itself just allows you to do so many different things. Um, you know, it, it it just had all these different inserts in it, and and subsets, and and you know, booklets and stamps and and um, little other players' head stamps that you could put into the book. I mean, they just. I this was like the first set in hockey that I can think of that just had all these different levels of collecting that set. And if you get creative, you can expand on that. And that's what I'm so I'm just that's what, so when I especially when I go up to Canada, you know, it's it's more accessible to find these and. Um, you know, I, I get sometimes I buy cheaper banged up ones, not, nothing too destroyed because it won't look good. But I try. I get something that might not be in perfect shape because I'm. That's the one I'm going to get autographed. Because I don't. I'm not going to spend something you know a lot of money for a mint card and then have them autograph it. Here's I a fun
2: question. Or whatever. Go ahead. So you're working on a set that is fifty five years old, correct? Mm-hmm. If we were to hypothetically peek into the future. And you're talking about all the different inserts and everything else. In 55 years in the future, do we see teenagers moving into adulthood or kids that moved into young adult, whatever, doing a similar thing with like 2023 prism football that has. 60 some different parallels out there right. and finding ways to try to make the runs of, you know, their favorite colors or everything else. And then trying to go even further and get the players to sign it. And realistically, because what you're doing right now, if you think about it, it's only 55 years ago that that set was released. Only 55. Does that years same ago. passion hold true. 55 years from now on a set today that has even more options, more challenges upon it do we see that in the future because i personally don't (laughs) i i I hope so i mean i i I hope that
1: people in the future are going to have the collecting bug still but you know with more technology i mean there was a time period where collecting cards was the most entertaining thing you could do you know as a as in a as a kid or whatever and now you know you got computer games and a cell phone that can tell you what the weather is in, you know, Yugoslavia in five seconds. So um, I don't know if the younger generation is going to continue to really collect. We saw during the pandemic, the younger generation decided they were going to all become investors and make money, which was great because you want to see young kids being entrepreneurs and, you know, and make money for themselves and, and learn business and, and, and interact with people and, you know because especially what's the biggest complaint about young kids is that they're all isolated and staring at their phones. Well, kids in this hobby went out and went table to table and went, Are you buying? Are you selling? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? and making shan- shake, uh, you know, handshake deals and moving big amounts of money around at, at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. So that was all great but i eric you're
0: going down you're going down a very interesting path that is worthy of another episode but he but he was talking about the depth he wasn't just talking about collecting he was talking about going into the ridiculous amount of depth similar to what you're doing and the answer is no
1: i don't see i i don't i didn't see a lot of young collectors so my fear is that in the future when these collectors grow up these young kids grow up and have kids on their, of their own that they want to pass this hobby on to. There's only going to be a small handful of people that actually collect and want to chase and build. I think even the ones
0: that do are not necessarily going to want to go into that level of depth. So kind of to answer Brandon's question. with The, the point was with the amount of parallels in the versions. Whereas you are exploring every aspect of that 68, 69 set the current iteration would require dozens and dozens and dozens of parallels. So it's not just collecting the set. It's collecting the set and collecting the you know, gold prison version and collecting the black prison version. The answer's no. The The answer's no. <laughs> they might pick, hypothetically, future. They're still collecting. They're still passionate. They're still into it. They'll probably pick one or two that are their favorites, mm-hmm. if anything, and then they'll pursue that and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> then they'll move on. Uh, because I think once you reach a certain point, it's like, it's it's not, it's like, is it even worth the effort to go through that many iterations of the exact same thing just to two or three? Sure. 15, 20,
2: 25, 30, 35, 50. No, the answer is no. Yeah, it's by the way, 60 something now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, to be clear, I, I still don't understand why we're making such a big deal out of that, Brandon. Because everybody knows that the height of human civilization, the height of human civilization was 1998 tops Tech that had 180 Uh. versions. You had 90 versions of the base and 90 diffractors. That is 180. So this is but merely a third. So we're not even warmed up yet, bro. That's the height of human civilization. We already peaked in 1998. It's over.
1: Oh, well, then I'm selling my collection tomorrow.
0: Yeah, fools. I tried to warn y'all. I tried to warn you. 180 different versions, Eric.
1: 180 different parallel so each there's 180 parallel of yes one
2: yeah, yeah I each wasn't one had a there one pattern. that was even more than that
0: i think 180 was the maximum i, I think that. that because because you had 90 patterns so each base card had 90 patterns yeah. available and then the diffractor you had a diffractor version of each one of the 90 patterns so that's how, how you get to 180
1: And this was a baseball product
2: 1998 yeah. top stack yeah well see baseball stupid and there's some of them that didn't even get made. Like some patterns didn't awesome. get made yep. for some players. It, some it of them I've definitely never seen. Th- there's a few that I have definitely never seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely never there was seen. less so, of some made. Yeah, it, it was hypothetically, it
0: was hypothetically on paper, there should be 180 versions of each one of the base cards. So again, I don't want to hear it. Brandon, I don't want to hear a damn complaint about 40 or 50 parallels. That's nothing. Nothing. We had 90 patterns. And then and then the diffractor version of all 90 patterns so mm-hmm. nothing so panini doesn't even know what's coming yet like get, y'all get on tops text level from 1998 you're not even close not
1: even close I'm glad I stopped collecting modern in the 90s because if that was something I got into or if they did that with hockey and I got into that I would have just I would have would have lost my my mind and every cent chasing. And uh, I think You would have so. lost your mind sooner.
2: You would have lost your mind sooner. Yeah, well, I'm glad I stopped and went, I'm just collecting vintage, screw you people. I think though, Eric, you wouldn't have. Just being honest, because if you are able to zone into a set and and like have a passion for it, if you had found like particular you know, maybe insert sets or things like that, that you really enjoyed and didn't try to go after all of it. I think you would have still had a lot of fun.
1: Well, I was, I was possibly, I mean, who knows, but there was just a period of time in the nineties where I had to make a decision because I couldn't keep up with, you know, the 500 different products and the inserts and this and that, that all started coming. And then you started having autographs. And then you started to have it, um, uh, jerseys and it's just it blew up and i'm like i can't keep up with this i'm just a young kid you know i was like in college i'm like I, I i can't afford a pizza but they want me to you know start paying all this money for 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 cards and i said no i'm sticking i'm sticking with vintage which and- one
2: more expensive uh chocolate sticks or packs of cards at the time
1: oh i It'd probably simmer at like twenty five cents a piece, so. Mm. <laughs> so we've
2: got the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. We learned. the truth comes out. We eventually. see what was given up. Yeah, <laughs> what was it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, let's see what I. We've when exposed. I, when I when I met my wife in 1994, mm-hmm. I weighed 148 pounds, and I was doing all these different distance running races all over the new england area i'd travel and go and run in a and you know and this race that race all i over. love that
0: you're trying to portray this and as then, if you weren't running away from people
1: the villagers were chasing you with pitchforks and torches and, and that's why you were running and then i met my wife and started skipping workouts and races to go on dates and hanging out with her and then i found chocolate sticks and now i'm like you know 225 and uh i i don't quite know how that happened
2: one quarter at a time Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened
0: one quarter at a time yeah i think i think we've learned a lot tonight i think we've learned mm-hmm. a lot so let's uh, let's put a button on it there uh we, we will follow up on uh <laughs> and eric's uh, backstory and his excuses of yes running It's like when you're (laughs) running away from people, that's a different conversation. Like that's not quite the same context, but fair enough. It burns calories either way. Fleeing terror, you know, burns calories. Uh, That's the thing. So hopefully you folks enjoyed that. Uh, We we can come back with a similar topic later on if you wish, but we wanted to give you a little background on some of our vintage journeys, so to speak. Uh, Different, like I said, different paths. Eric has a very focused path on a thing. Brandon has certain specific items he's doing. I've got my own roadmap and kind of my thing that I'm doing. But I did explore the space on a lot of these different sets over the years. I've had cards from a variety of different – I've collected some pre-war, and I've uh, enjoyed some of that as well. But it's one of those things where you have to kind of find your link. I always thought it was kind of um, limiting if you sit there and like, oh, okay, you know, I guess I've matured. The, the premise almost was like, oh, I've matured as a collector, so I should collect vintage. You're like, well, collect it if you want
2: to. Collect it if it interests and, you. Collect if it intrigues you, by all means. But if it doesn't, just don't. Just reiterate – too um you know nothing against people that love going down all the different paths of vintage and if they cherish vintage and and truly feel that it's the future and and the best way to put your money in and everything but there's nothing wrong with collecting just things that you truly enjoy either um i will say you know we're sitting here doing recording this on february 19th and I have already, this year, purchased almost as many cards, I think, as I did all of 2023. And that's just a matter of back to finding the things that I truly want and that, that actually means something to me. I, I bought two cards last night that were football. And I don't share a lot of football on the channel or, or you know, in general. I, I haven't shown a lot of football stuff. And... It was a Chad Johnson rookie auto that I found on card Bengals uniform and then an AJ Green. And people might say, well, you're a Ravens fan, but there was a period of my life that I actually was involved with the Bengals and I was at AJ Green's first ever training camp, you know, and so there's connections there. There's pieces to these cards that actually have a meaning to me and, you know, I can And have enjoyment with that. I have a lot of Chad autos that that I got from him personally, but I didn't have an on-card rookie auto in his Bengals uniform. So that was an awesome pickup I found. And, you know, so it's, it's just a matter of refocusing and making this what it's supposed to be. And that is fun and meaningful. And that's what I'm getting back to. Moving words.
0: I think it's fair. So we'll uh, put an end on on that one. I will recommend, and I will uh, encourage you if you do check this out and enjoy it, if you can give us, uh, I'd love to get some feedback from you on the, in the comments section, if you're checking it out on the YouTube, Uh, these do become available also on Spotify and Google, you know, Apple Music, whatever whatever podcast of choice, it's on several of them if you want to check it out that way. YouTube is generally the best way because then you also get the visuals. We'll try to describe it here and there where we can, but you will get the full experience there. I think on Spotify they also have it on video. So if you want to check out the Spotify video, it's there as well. But uh so that'll be it for myself. So Brandon, Bubbles and Ball Cards and 540 Flips. He actually had a 540 Flips video earlier if you uh if you do check it out a day or two after. Uh this one uploads. Uh these podcast episodes are on Tuesday mornings when they do upload, and we've also got Eric Sanderson to or so you can send all of your 68, 69 fan fiction, uh, whatever he's into that kind of thing. So Sixty-nine, can be seven, very close enough. Whatever, one of them, one or the other. Uh, you can send him your fan fiction. Uh, yeah. You know that he, he's very excited about those things. Uh, really? Listen,
1: that might be another avenue of collecting for him. Like, there's a lot. The important thing when it comes to that set, I'll, anything that that we can do to mix it up, I'm in. Exactly, sounds perfect. So we've got that, and then we'll uh, have
0: more up these episodes coming up. Otherwise, on the YouTube channel, more videos coming up, and uh, live streams on Friday at eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we're at least five percent less mature. We did challenge that a little bit today. I'm not gonna lie, we started going down a couple of paths. We did reel <laughs> it back in. We did reel it. We were able to bring it back. We brought it back.
1: Uh, so on Friday, on Friday that we won't try.
0: I did on Friday that we will not even try.
1: I did attack Brad. That that's not that's not appropriate for for uh, for the, for the podcast.
0: For this venue, it is not right. The good good news is on Friday, we simply will not hold back. There will be no pretenses of anything resembling professionalism. But we do thank those of you who are listening, and we do thank our friends at AMG Collectibles, amgcollectibles.ca, and the AMG Collectibles YouTube channel, where there will be another episode, some new upcoming product, and some cool stuff that came in the store. If you like Upper Deck Clear-Cut Hockey, there's definitely a heavy dose of Upper Deck Clear-Cut Hockey. So there's a little spoiler for you if you check it out, because that episode will drop right around the same, a little bit after this one when on the YouTube channel. So for Brandon and Eric and myself, have yourselves a good one and we'll catch you in the next episode.